Going Linux, episode 292, Listener Feedback. Welcome to the Going Linux podcast. I'm your host, Larry Bushy. And I'm your co-host, Bill. Whether you're new to Linux, upgrading from Windows to Linux, or just thinking about moving to Linux, this podcast will provide you with valuable information and advice that will help you in Going Linux. We hope that you'll find this and all of our episodes helpful in learning about Linux and its applications and using them to get things done. If you want, you can send us feedback at our email address at goinglinux at gmail.com or leave us a message on our voicemail at 1-904-468-7889. In today's episode, listener feedback. Hey, Bill. Hello, Larry. How are you? I'm cold. <laughs> You're cold. Oh, yeah. Well, it is winter, isn't it? Uh, hey, we have snow in South Carolina. That sounds like that's unusual for you. It is, uh, but uh, let me re rephrase that. We had some snow flurries in South Carolina, and they were so freaked out about it. Everything went on <laughs> delays today. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, when you're not used to that kind of weather, and you don't have snow clearing equipment and salt for the roads and all that sort of stuff, it, it can be disastrous. It's like rain here in California. When it rains, people forget how to drive. No, no, no. Wait a minute. I live in South Carolina, not Afghanistan. <laughs> Come on. We have salt for our roads. We have sand. You know, we do have a beach pretty close. We have all the sand we need. Okay. But it was funny. I walked out on my balcony, and there's these kids trying to catch enough of these snowflakes to make a snowball, and it just wasn't happening. <laughs> yeah, well... You're fortunate you don't live a little further north where they got dumped on. Yeah, they did. New York got hit pretty hard. Yeah. So much for this week in weather. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, nothing. No dogs haven't done anything. So I think we should just move on with the show. <laughs> okay, let's do that. <laughs> and we have a lot of great uh, feedback, both in email form and one from our Google Plus podcast community and that's our first one the first one is from mark on google plus on how linux has improved his life happy new year larry and bill thanks for taking the time to create such an awesome podcast further to your november episode on the subject of how linux might improve one's life i'd like to offer my explanation on how linux has done this for me as a noob i've been blown away by the opportunities there are to learn new skills all for the very little investment or no cost at all in 2015 i had a great time learning gimp and python using youtube tutorials and i also took a linux academy course to help get my head around the linux operating system this year i hope to gain a better understanding of how iot that's internet of things works with the help of my Raspberry Pi B+. The scale of opportunity Linux presents as a platform to learn new things is amazing, all the more so because of its ubiquity. To learn exciting new things thanks to the endeavor of so many smart people does mean that Linux has improved my life. Best regards, Mark. Thanks, Mark. Yeah, I'm 
happy that Linux is improving your life as it has so many more. Yeah, and you know, this awesome podcast, actually, Larry does all the editing. It's not too awesome until he edits it. Just, oh, shh. <laughs> <laughs> all right, our next email comes from Glenn, and he writes, Larry and Bill, I've greatly enjoyed your lightweight distribution episodes. Beyond low resources, there is an additional constraint on an older computer of mine. It cannot run distributions that require PAE. I found a couple of distros that meet this requirement, and I'm quite satisfied with them. But perhaps there are other listeners in the same situation who would appreciate some guidance from the Going Linux about distributions that, that they might use. I am dual-booting Sparky Linux and SolidX on a Dell Latitude D600 laptop. Thanks, Glenn. Now, PA, isn't that uh, uh, the code that allows uh, 32-bit to run on computers? Yeah, so PAE can stand for physical address extension or page address extension. And if if your computer or your CPU, rather, has PAE in it, uh, a Linux distribution with a PAE-enabled kernel allows you to use additional RAM in your computer beyond what a 32-bit computer would normally be limited to. Uh, and unfortunately for those people who have extremely old computers, if you choose a distribution, even some of the lightweight distributions, that only make PAE uh, kernels available today... Uh, you're not going to be able to run your Linux distribution of choice on that 32-bit machine if indeed the Linux distribution requires that you have a PAE kernel or a 64-bit kernel in order to run it. So uh, it sounds like our friend Glenn is in that situation. And my recommendation to Glenn and anyone else in this situation is check out the notes for your Linux distribution before you install it, make sure that it doesn't require a PAE kernel. Many of the lightweight distributions do not, but it sounds like the one or two that Glenn have decided to try out initially did have that requirement. So uh, unfortunately, you got stung, Glenn. But it sounds like if you're dual booting, uh, you found a couple that work for you. That's great. Our next email is from Matt, and Matt wrote, Hi, I just wanted to send you a quick email to tell you how much I love the podcast. I'm extremely new to the Linux world, and I feel hopeless most of the time. I went ahead with a full Ubuntu installation to completely and absolutely remove Windows from my life. I think I'm like most people and have hated but dealt with said OS because it's, quote, familiar. I was on the proverbial fence for a long time and made the jump finally. I have even started installing partitions on friends' and family's computers. It's been a huge success and mostly has been embraced. Matt, that's where it starts. When you start installing it on other people's computers, now you become computer support. <laughs> Continuing, most people think that to run Linux requires loads of knowledge and or a degree or that they won't be able to do anything on a machine with Linux. Like I said, I'm in the very early stages of learning, and I've been running Windows since 95, so it's hard to change, but I'm digging in hard and forcing myself to. I do have one question. I recently had an idea for some kind of music layering software. Would it be overreaching to try and build it myself? What should I use? 
I think it could be a game changer in a lot of ways, but I don't want to make millions on it. I'm not saying money would be horrible, but if I could make it open source, I think it would do more good and get used more. Any kind of advice would be great, but I understand you're probably too busy to answer everything. So if nothing else, I wanted to tell you that I love the podcast and will continue to be a loyal and faithful listener. Thanks for everything. Matt G. in the middle of a cornfield, Illinois. <laughs> hmm. Okay. Middle, they got Wi-Fi out there, apparently. Yeah, in the middle of the cornfield. Well, maybe satellite, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> so I responded to Matt and said that we would definitely be sharing his question on the show. And I'm not exactly sure what he means by music layering, but if it's anything like multi-track audio editor... Matt, you should probably check the repositories of your favorite distribution and see if it's already there, uh, or at least see if there's a project underway that you could contribute your skills to before you start your own project. Uh, you might be really welcome to a project that's underway that needs someone with your skills. And if you do decide you want to start your own project, there are lots of software development tools there for you to do that. Uh, and really what software you choose depends on what you're comfortable with. There's tools like C or C++ and Python that, that are programming languages that could help you out there and lots of tools to help with uh, integrated development environment if you decide you want to do that. And many of those have um, hooks for linking into the Linux audio tools as well. So... That might be a uh, an option for you. Before you even start with that, you might want to check out multimedia production recording and editing software that is available for Linux. And one way to do that quite easily is to take a look at the Ubuntu Studio uh, distribution. It's designed with a lot of, if not all of, the uh, audio and video and all kinds of creative production software already pre-installed, ready to go. And Bill, I know that's one of your favorite distributions. What what kind of software is in there that uh, that might help out our friend Matt? Well, funny you should ask. I actually have the machine up and running right here. Okay. Let's see what they offer. Let's see. Audio production. Well, according to the menu, they have audio processors, MIDI utilities, mixers and card control, sound generators. And some of the programs that they offer are Ardor 3, Audacity, Hydrogen, Internet DJ Console, LMMS, Music Score, da Pure Data, Q-Tractor, and... That's just to name a few of them. So I think Ubuntu Studio would probably be a good one for him to go with. Yeah, yeah. At the very least, to see what software is out there and see whether any of it already exists or is a project he can contribute to before he starts making his own. And by the way, uh, quick secret, mm -hmm. look at Audacity. Yes. We use it all the time, and I believe it can do multi-track recording and layering and all that stuff. So you might uh, not have to do anything except start creating great content. Yep. And especially if you've got something like um, Jack, 
it's included in that Ubuntu Studio, uh, but it allows you to route signals from one device to another and patch them here and there and everywhere and really helps out for recording and, and editing and so on. Yeah. And like I said, uh, Ubuntu Studio is a really good one for you if you're going to be doing any kind of content creation because I, I, I'm almost positive they still uh, include what they call a low latency kernel, which means it's a little better for uh, audio recording and stuff. So just something to think about. Yep, absolutely. That low latency kernel can be very helpful for someone doing professional work, unlike us here. We're we're unprofessional. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. But, you're the professional. I'm the, I'm the unprofessional. But get it right. uh, yeah, yeah. This is a quote, hobbyist podcast. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> we certainly All don't right. make any money on this, so that makes us non-professional. <laughs> anyway, continuing on. Oh, yeah. Uh, Ambrose is being funny again. Okay. <clears throat> he writes, Larry and uh, Fred. <laughs> Hi, Ambrose. Websites are demanding more and more that we take down our browser security extensions just to view their content. I'm having to whitelist more and more sites. Also, Firefox has stated that they will eventually remove the plugin architecture altogether. I have no confidence that Firefox will build the security I want directly into the browser. As such, I have been experimenting with running less secure versions of Firefox and a few other apps using sandboxes or jails for a while now. But I just don't know which ones provide the best security? How about a show or series of shows on the sandboxes available for Linux, these that are already set up to run a graphical application, like FireJail, Docker, with subuser, etc.? The Magnificent Ambrose. Hmm. Okay, Ambrose, this is from Fred. <laughs> I would say... If you're having problems with Firefox, I would just go ahead and just move away from it. Uh, I don't know what kind of directions they're doing. Look at Chrome. Chrome's pretty much universal. I mean, unless you have a reason you don't want to run Chrome or run, or run Chromium. Everything you can find for Firefox as far as extensions, plugins, or whatever, you can find for Chrome. And uh, they're always pushing updates. Uh, as far as uh, jails, that's a pretty good idea for a show. I really had never really thought about it. When I was running BSD, you know, you can create jails and run run them in BSD. But I had never thought about trying to do it in Linux. Maybe you have, Larry. What's your opinion? No, I've I've never had really a need or a desire to do that, so I've never really thought about it, quite frankly. But yeah, I know the term jails is the the word that is synonymous with sandboxes that is used in BSD. Um, I've I've heard it used, but have never had any experience with it at all. So um, we'll take that under advisement, uh, Ambrose, and uh, see where we go from here uh, on maybe a podcast episode about how to sandbox. But in the meantime, there are plenty of other browsers out there you can try. I mean, there's Chrome, of course, and Chromium, the open source version of that, uh, that would be an alternative to using Firefox or Midori. And there are plenty of others out there, even some that are based on the same code base as the Firefox browser, like uh, Quipzilla, 
Q-U-P-Z-I-L-L-A. Uh, I've, I've seen that one in a, uh, a blog post recently. I haven't tried it. Don't know too much about it, but uh, it's based on WebKit. So it may give you the features of Firefox, but without the, um, without the problems. It's certainly worth a try for sure. And there's there's one just for fun, Ambrose. Uh, I think it's still in the repositories. Links, try links. <laughs> <laughs> that's old. Yes, it is. But it's all it's uh, all text, if I remember correctly. And that's right. And you navigate around with the keyboard and the uh, arrow keys. <laughs> <laughs> but you can click on links. You can go here or there. But you just don't see any of the graphics. So you're not going to see any of the advertising. That's from a graphical perspective. So that might just be the way to go. Uh, might be more aggravation than it's worth. But hey, it's worth mentioning, that's for sure. <laughs> hey, leave me to go old school. Yeah. Let's see here. Um, our next email is from Ken, who wrote us about our episode 290. Ken writes, hi, guys, just heard the new podcast. Thanks for airing my little piece about the Chromebook. I think that the Chromebook gets shortchanged, mostly by folks who have a requirement for more computing, like you two. Not that you are naysayers, but I hear them run down all the time by folks who have a higher need, but fail to consider the needs of the majority of users who play on the Internet, write letters, do an occasional spreadsheet, etc., these ordinary users are well served with a Chromebook. The power user is never going to be adequately served by a Chromebook alone. And of course, in my power usage, I have to go to a big desktop computer hidden away in my office at the other end of the house. As I've said, laptops won't work for that either. Anyway, did I mention that I love my Chromebook? I'm writing this from the Chromebook. Bill, I am currently studying for my ham license using hamtestsonline.com. I plan to take both tech and general the same day, assuming that I pass the first, maybe even extra. Ha ha. At 77, I can't fool around. I can, <laughs> I can sit here in my easy chair, Chromebook in hand, and study for the exam. Cool. I did look at what Linux software is available for the ham use and have downloaded one logging program. Of course, I'm getting the cart before the horse, or course, <laughs> haven't even passed the exam. But when I do and get a station set up, I'll be looking at using the old Acer laptop with Linux Mint Cinnamon at the station. 73, Ken. That is awesome. And if you get your extra before me, I'm going to be jealous. <laughs> now, I'll tell you a, a story, uh, Ken. Back when I took my test, uh, they had just come out with the no-code tech, which means you didn't have to know any code. Well, that's how I got my first license, and then I took the... Uh, I went and took the 13-word minute test, and I was going to test for uh, general. And what happened was they reorganized all the tests now, and you don't need it at all. So I had used Linux to learn the code, and then I had practiced online. But then after all that preparation, they dropped the code. Hmm. So anyway, but I've heard that that extra test is pretty tough, so <laughs> don't fool around. <laughs> No, but I think if you're, 
you'll pass the tech in general with no problems. And uh, when you get your license, uh, let me know what your uh, your call sign is. I'll try to I'll put it in my my list of call signs for people I when I get back online to uh, try to contact. Oh, that's great. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Ken. Our next one comes from Chris, and he's wanted to set up a new podcast. And he writes, greetings, fellow penguins. <laughs> Who are you calling a penguin? Oh, that would be me. Never mind. First, let me thank you for producing such a Linux-focused show. So I've been running Linux as a primary since Ubuntu 4.10 Warty Warthog, and am thus far a Linux newster. <laughs> That's a new word, newster. Yes. I am also far from being a Linux pro. I still find things to learn from you and other po fellow podcasters. Jupiter Broadcasting, The Luddites, and Ubuntu UK Podcast. Second, although I've just recently stumbled upon you due to your mention on Ubuntu UK Podcast, I have listened to some of your back catalog, especially the episodes centered around podcast production, and that's episodes 130 through 160-ish. Thank you for these episodes especially. I feel like I have most of my head around how to do this, but since it has been a few years, maybe you could revisit this topic again with any needed updates. Do you still remember archive.org, Lipson, and such? Thanks from North Carolina, Chris. And actually, don't we use archive.org uh, for our uh, podcast, don't we, Larry? We do. So instead of using a uh, podcast hosting service like Libsyn, we actually post our podcast episodes onto archive.org, which is from the .org uh, designation. You can tell that it's a nonprofit, but they maintain a lot of audio and video and written word production. Uh, files on there, and they're intending to be the internet library, if you will. And in fact, archive.org is what runs the um, uh, the Wayback Machine that lets you take a look at websites that may have existed in the past and how they've existed in the past. You can log on to the Wayback Machine and select a website and a year and even a month within that year and look at what was on that website or how that website looked in that year, in that month. Uh, Archive.org is, is a great tool to use. Um, and they have all kinds of tools for uploading your content there. There are a lot of podcasters who use it, a lot of video creatives who use it as well. And uh, of course, uh, uh, documents created by, books created by, uh, authors uh, storing their information there, and we just provide links to that and our uh, RSS feed for the podcast links to those files out there as well. So we certainly do recommend that. Libsyn is a great way to get started in podcasting, although they do some funky stuff with your files and your feeds and such. So you might want to use them if you're looking for something from a service that does everything for you. But if you're like me and you like to be overly controlling of everything, uh, <laughs> <laughs> archive.org is a great place to host your files if you just want a place to put things that isn't going to yeah. cost you an arm and a leg. Actually, you know, I was I just used the Wayback Machine because I wanted to look at a website. Uh -huh. And I was just, while I was there, I was kind of typing around and looking at some of the old sites. 
and I always get a kick out of it. You remember the little emblems that says, this site optimized for Netscape, or this site optimized <laughs> for Internet Explorer? Yes. <laughs> yes. I still get a kick out of seeing those. Or, or uh, get a chance, you go to some of the old AOL <laughs> and, and look at it. It's just hilarious how how far we've come. Yes, absolutely. It's uh, it's entertaining, if nothing else. Well, if, you know, anything entertains me. So you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, give me a rock and a tin can, and I'm happy for an hour. Okay. On that <laughs> note, uh, moving to our email from Richard. Richard wrote, "Hi, Larry. I am following up on a request of yours from a previous exchange to report on the battery life of my Lenovo X250 running Mint Cinnamon." Uh, 17.1. This laptop has two batteries, the larger swappable one, I have a six cell, and the small internal one, I believe three cell, that kicks in when the larger one runs out. It would also let you swap out one of the batteries with the computer running. I seem to be getting about five to six hours on the six cell battery, then another hour and a half to two hours or so on the built-in battery. So all told, seven to eight hours. Not what Lenovo claims for it by any means, although their claim is for running Windows. It should be getting twice that, but still not too shabby. Note this typical workday usage, using a browser online, Firefox or Chromium, working on documents, emails, uploading and downloading here and there, but nothing heavy like videos. So overall, I still think I made the right choice since battery life is important to me. Hopefully, by the time I need a new machine, I can finally get a native Linux one if a decent one is being offered. I have been eyeing the Purism Librem 13, which claims 6 to 8 hours. Also significant for the X50, this battery life is all at full screen brightness, since this is an annoying bug on the X250. So my guess is that I would be able to increase this significantly if I could turn down that brightness. I am running kernel 3.13.0-37, and according to this Reddit post, with kernel 4.0, the problem is resolved. And we'll have a link to that Reddit post. Uh, and it's about battery life on X250s. So in your opinion, would a kernel upgrade make sense? Have you ever covered a step-by-step -step on your show for doing this? Or is there a website that has instructions that you highly recommend? I am finding quite a few out there. Thanks as always, Richard. So, battery life. Um, all I can say, Richard, is when it comes to claims of battery life by laptop manufacturers, consider anything that they put in writing as a lie. <laughs> I have never run across a computer that actually delivers the number of hours of battery life that they claim. Um, I think they do their tests with the computer on the absolute lowest brightness or perhaps even with the screen turned off uh, and uh, <laughs> and uh, running nothing more than the desktop for however long <laughs> it is running because there's no way that I have ever gotten anywhere near what they've claimed uh, for battery life, including my System76 laptop 
three hours is the best I've gotten out of it with a brand new, um, with a brand new battery. On the other hand, they never made any claims on battery life for the system 76 laptop I have. So I can't really claim that they're lying. I just, uh, you get three hours. I was hoping. Yeah. Uh huh. Mine comes with disclaimer. Keep a nuclear power plant by you, by your machine at all times. <laughs> yeah. Battery life on, uh, la laptop computers is, uh, typically very difficult to achieve. Uh, the bigger the battery, the longer the life of the computer typically. But, um, what I've discovered is that in, the the efforts that the operating system manufacturer puts in place to manage the battery uh, performance varies depending on which operating system you're talking about. And generally speaking, I think Apple does a tremendous job of uh, extending their battery life. Of course, they have full control over what the hardware is and can optimize the software to manage the batteries on their hardware because for a given model, there's only one kind of battery and they can optimize it. Uh, Windows does the next uh, best version and I think Linux has a long way to go on battery management, uh, battery life management on the Linux operating system. And uh, even with the improvements in the updated kernels, uh, it still uh, has a way to go in my estimation. So. If anyone else knows some secrets as to how to extend battery life on Linux laptops, uh, that's great. As far as upgrading your kernel, I think that's one option for you, Richard. Uh, before you go into that, you might want to take a look at uh, some of the posts that are available on various sites for, and it sounds like you already have looked at them, for... Uh, extending your battery life. There are some on the Mint uh, forums. There are some on Ubuntu forums and other Linux distribution forums. And that's, I, I would try any of that before upgrading your kernel. Um, but uh, if upgrading the kernel is the thing that, that helps you the best, great. Uh, certainly reducing the screen brightness is one of the best ways to extend your battery life because lighting up the screen on a laptop takes the most out of your battery. And as you mentioned, Richard, you've got a problem with that in that uh, the ThinkPad you're using doesn't give you the ability to adjust that screen brightness. And Richard and I exchanged some suggestions from me as to how to install a couple of utilities for uh, IBM and ThinkPad laptops that uh, are designed to help with that. None of them helped Richard. And in my experience with laptops, uh, ThinkPads in particular, and I've used a, quite a large number of ThinkPads, the X series, especially the early X series computers, uh, are designed a little bit differently than the T series and some of the other series ThinkPads that they have. The T series, I think, is the best for Linux support and all of the uh, buttons uh, hardware buttons for adjusting brightness and sound and all of that, the multimedia buttons, they all seem to work and they're built into the Linux kernel or are provided through one of these utilities. But uh, they've done something different on this, the X series hardware, and I'm not sure what it is, and you may be running into that as well. So uh, we've already talked to Richard about the TPB utility program. 
which is the uh, package that's specifically designed for ThinkPad special keys. And uh, that didn't help him out. So um, back and forth on some other suggestions. And my last suggestion was, <laughs> well, maybe you should try upgrading that kernel and see if that helps. So if, if that did help, if you did try that, Richard, please let us know. That's weird. I thought ThinkPads have always been really great with Linux. Yeah. Yeah, some of the smaller ThinkPads, the X series in particular, they, they have some stripped down hardware to make them thin and light because they're, they're, you know, some of the original Ultrabook designs. Oh, yeah. You know, some of them are like 11 inches, 12 inches, or even smaller, some of the earlier ones. And they don't have optical drives and... If the one he has actually allows you to swap out the optical drive and put in a second battery, um, it's it's probably one of the largers. It's probably the the larger ThinkPads. It's probably not a an Ultrabook. So um, I I don't know. Uh, so if anybody out there knows any tips or tricks for an X two fifty on extending the battery life that would be that would be great 15 hours yeah. you're never going to get that uh, <laughs> if you do i want to hear about it yeah our next email comes from john he writes hello i've been listening to your podcast for several years and i have been using linux for close to 20 i am also a ham and i'm wondering when you will do an episode on ham software I currently use Kubuntu 12.04 on my desktop and laptop and use FLDigi for PSK on 20 meters, 73. Ah, you know what, Larry? Didn't we do a, a ham-related podcast? It's been a while. Maybe it's time to revisit that. Yeah, we way early on we did some review of what ham software is available, especially for... Debian, the Debian distribution and Debian derivatives, and they're all out there available in the repositories. Linux Mint is one of the most popular Linux distributions for ham radio operators because it gives you the simplicity that you need as a um, as as a non Linux expert, typically, uh, and yet gives you the access to the ham software that's available. So. Um, I don't know whether we'll do a specific ham software episode, primarily because there's a great ham radio software podcast out there already. It's Linux in the Ham Shack, and Russ and Pete and those folks over there really do a good job of covering the topic. So we we couldn't, I don't think, do do that justice. So I would suggest that you listen to Linux in the Ham Shack, and we'll include a link to their podcast in our podcast show notes. Yeah. Also, uh, I want to give a shout out to a couple other great podcasts. Sometimes they cover some ham-related software. Uh, others, sometimes it's just some great information. But uh, the ones I would recommend uh, to listen to also are, of course, Juniper Pro uh, Broadcasting. They do a good job. And the UK uh, Ubuntu uh, was a bunch of UK podcast. Those guys are pretty good too. Yeah, absolutely. And Linux in a ham shack. <laughs> yeah, but specifically for ham radio focused, um, the uh, Linux in the ham shack is is probably the one out there that I can think of that uh, uh, does it the best. And props to them, the Jupiter Broadcasting stuff and the uh, uh, 
uh, Ubuntu UK, they they mentioned ham about as frequently as we do. So, <laughs> so you may or may not find what you're looking for there. But certainly, if you're looking for ham specific Linux in the ham shack, okay. Yep, yep. I think uh, Rust Coat does a good job. All right. All right. So I think that's it for our email for this time. Uh, and I don't know about you, Bill, but, uh, as far as new software programs that I've tried out that I can recommend or new applications of any sort, I haven't done too much in the Linux area or open source area recently. So I really don't have, you know, anything that I've explored around with and can recommend. How about you? I got nothing because <laughs> everything I use is already set up. I mean, I, I haven't found the need to change anything, so I don't. I haven't used anything new. <laughs> Sorry. Are, are we becoming Linux luddites? Uh, probably. Okay, we'll have to experiment around with a few new things lately. But uh, you know, the one the one thing that if there is something that I'm impressed with. And it's something that's been around for a long, long time, but it's something that I just started using recently. Uh, and mainly because of my use of uh, Ubuntu Mate. It's installed by default on Ubuntu Mate, and I started playing around with it a little bit there for the first time. Well, I shouldn't say for the first time. I did try it out many years ago and decided that for some reason it wasn't for me at that time. But I like it now, and I've installed it on my Linux Mint system. It's the Guake Terminal, G-U-A-K-E Terminal. And uh, what it does is it makes a drop-down terminal available from one of your function keys. So I just press F12 on my keyboard, and it pops down a little terminal, which I can type exit to close and, uh, you know, close that terminal session. Or I can simply close that drop-down window and the terminal continues to run in the background. I hit F12 again and it comes back up right where I left it. So if I need to run a process in the background, but I don't want the terminal sitting on my screen, it, uh, it sits there and does that nicely. And you can make that little drop-down terminal window transparent or semi-transparent so it actually doesn't really cover up what you're working on like a regular terminal window might do for you. So, Do you know where that comes from? Uh, I believe it came from some sort of uh, gaming application. I mean some sort. It comes from Quake. Yes. Well, that's some sort of gaming application, is it not? <laughs> Maybe a particularly famous uh, gaming application. But... How can you not know it was in like, Quake 2? I mean, that's how you would enter all your cheat codes. Not that I did that. Oh. Of course not. No. Uh, but, yeah, that's uh, that uh, where they got inspiration from. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's it's quite uh, quite a nice application. I like it a lot, and uh, I recommend. We'll make it. a Quake player out of you yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have I have played some games uh, on uh, Linux, and uh, some... the jewel doesn't count. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've I've played some first person shooters, and I uh, have had console games in the past, so uh, I'm not completely <laughs> a neophyte when it comes to gaming. <laughs> okay. Well, I I don't think what well, Toontown Disney's Toontown counts. Okay, Bill. No, no, no. I better be quiet. I'm gonna get banned now. Okay. Our next episode, Larry. Guess what it is? What is it? 
It is our distro review. Ah, our long-awaited distro review. I'm looking forward to that, Bill. Good. Well, you know, until then, you can go to our website at goinglinux.com for articles and show notes, as well as links to download and subscribe. We are the website for computer users who just want to use Linux to get things done. If you'd like, you can participate directly with our friendly and helpful community members by joining the discussion in our Going Linux Podcast Google Plus community. Until next time, thanks for listening. 73. Theme music provided by Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com.